Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In the early morning hours of February 18th, 2002, a motorist near Highway 431 in Russell County, Alabama, saw a man flagging down cars on the side of the road. That man pulled over and called 911, and a sheriff's deputy soon arrived on the scene where he found 54-year-old Forrest Boyer, who goes by Butch, with his throat slashed from ear to ear, covered in blood. Okay, sir, you got any idea what your name is? Come here, come here. The ambulance is here, sir. Hold on. Right there. Fifteen Russell County. Have uh, a supervisor call me at five seven five. Five seven five. Hold on, sir. Hold on. All right, all right, all right, all right. Hold on, sir. Hold on. Okay, ambulance is here. I'll get my boys first. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right, uh, you, you, you. All right sir. Hold on, real quick. What's your name? What's your name? Butch. Butch what? Warrior. Spell it. What's your name, sir? I mean, what's your what's your birthday? Uh, three two forty seven. Okay, he said his son's been shot three times down there, been buried. We gotta go. We gotta take him down there. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. What can we do with him? Where? Uh, where is it? What? Down here. He's cut bad. I dug out his grave a while ago. What? Who shot you? Who did this? Butch was rushed to the hospital where he survived his wounds. 
Unfortunately, his son, 12-year-old Brett, was not so lucky. Butch told authorities that he had been shot in the head. He told them that he had been shot by Jimmy Brooks Jr., but Jimmy wasn't alone. He was just the only one that Butch had recognized. Jimmy had carried out this attack with the help of a man named Michael Carruth, and the two were quickly arrested. When brought in for an interrogation, Jimmy revealed that this was not the pair's first murder. This is Monsters. Forty-three-year-old Michael Carruth was a bounty hunter who worked for his ex-wife's bail bonds company. It seemed as though Michael was also working on building a hydroponic marijuana grow operation and needed some extra money to fund this startup of his. For this, he needed some help. I got in all this how I even met Mike. I got in trouble for stealing the radios, like I told you. And uh, when I got locked up, my bond was 45000 No way I could get out. And when was this? This was in, uh, I would say it's going to be about seven months, okay. six months. August? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I Around that time of, Around of that time, 2001. Right, right. Okay. Okay. And, uh. You was arrested for, for breaking in the car. Right, for stealing cars and shit. Matter of fact, my queen just got worked out and I was supposed to sign it tomorrow. Okay. But, uh, fuck it. Alright, anyways, when he got me out, I didn't know my family had no money to get me out. For some reason, he got me out. Alright, and when you say he... Mike, Mike Caruth got me out of uh, jail. Mike Caruth is a bail bondsman. Right, Tri-County. Tri-County bondsman. Right. And he got you out on bond right. without you paying anything. Right, my sister only paid 200 bucks, and my mother-in-law has her house up for it. But she had a name but $20,000 of the value of her house. Okay. Alright, anyways... Okay, so I'm trying to do good when I first get out. I'm doing construction framing and stuff, but I'm paying my lawyer and my uh, bad check I had in Columbus. I wasn't able to pay Mike Ruth. All right, and it had been like maybe three months I went down the road, and uh, he come up to me and all, he's like, Jesus, I need you to start paying me. He says, if you don't, I'm gonna have to lock you back up. I says, man, I'm sorry, I'm doing the best I can right now. He says, well, he says, if I work something other up, something other, you can get you some money on. He says, I'll come and get you and mention it to you. If you like it, we'll do it. Mike had met 22-year-old Jimmy Brooks when his ex-wife's company had bailed him out of jail six or seven months prior. Jimmy had been arrested for stealing car stereos, but he claimed he was trying to stay on the straight and narrow after getting bailed out. Jimmy was having a hard time paying Mike back for his bail bonding services, so Mike offered him a way to make some side income. So, about another, he kind of just come by the house every once in a while, still fill me out a little bit for about a couple, two or three weeks, really. Coming back to the house off and on a lot. And uh, I got in an argument with Kay, my fiance's mother, and I had to leave my camper that I was staying in behind her house with. Well, that left me with no place to go. He let me stay in his office over there across from the courthouse at the bonding company in the back. Well, I stayed there for a little bit, and uh, 
I was about to lose my old lady because we were so down and out and he'd given me five or ten dollars a day just to make it. Alright, and he comes up, he says, I want you to ride with me. I said, okay. We get in the car and we ride, you know, just a little bit of small talk. He says, more or less like you ready to make some money. So where are y'all riding? Uh, in his crown big, and we're just mostly just driving in the Phoenix City area. Right, okay. you know, he, I guess he felt safe in his car to talk. And uh, we got in his car, we're driving around, and he's talking about it, and so you ready to make money? Because I just got to tell him about I feel like she's about to leave me. Mm-hmm. Beyonce. He's like, well, I'll solve that for you. And uh, he mentioned Bill and Obelika. The, uh, I don't even remember what their real the first names and relationship is, but I just knew of them. So what did he say? He says, well, I, he was mentioning it about, well, where can we get a lot of money at? He says, oh, we'll just bust up in there and just some ski masks. Just hold it down. Just 68-year-old Thurman Ratcliffe and his wife, 62-year-old Catherine, were longtime residents of Opelika, Alabama. Thurman was an independent dealer for Snap-on Tools, and Catherine had worked as a beautician. Their daughter, Katrina Ryan, had a regular routine of calling her mother every morning when she got to work. She would do a quick check-in and then go on about her day. On the morning of January 30th, 2002, Katrina got to work and called her mother, but there was no answer. It was unusual for Catherine not to answer, but Katrina shrugged it off and tried again a few minutes later. She still got no answer. She had left messages on their answering machine, but never got a call back all morning. At lunchtime, she drove to her parents' house, and that's when she saw what Mike, Jimmy, and another man named James Edward Gary Jr. had done. When Mike had offered Jimmy a way to make some money, he suggested they rob Thurman and Catherine Ratcliffe. For some reason, the couple kept a large amount of cash in their home, and Mike suggested that they go into the house with guns, grab the money, and take off. They enlisted the help of James Gary, and at first, the three of them were going to do the robbery together, but at the last minute, that plan changed. He pulls up, and he stops in behind that little little, uh, cement store, you know, that little place where on the side of it, he pulls in the back side of it. You know, the deal in the first of it, he was coming too. But now, all of a sudden, the car can't be left there, it'll be seen. Somebody has to leave with the car. And uh, so he, he lets he makes us get out. He gives us a walkie-talkie, and he's got one too. And uh, two clicks for his trouble, and uh, one click for trouble. Two clicks for him to come back to get us. So he drove off. He he got he let us. He gave us and handed us back the guns and shit because he I guess he didn't want us to hold him in the car. You know, both of them just got out of jail not long ago. Whatever. And uh, he handed them back to us. He's like, all right, y'all. He says, we do the two clicks come back and get y'all right here at this spot. And we asked him what the problem was, why didn't he come with us? And he's talking, you know, that he didn't want to leave the car. It's his car, you know. And uh, so we go in, you know, we, we had no choice. There was no backing out of it once we did all that. Mike had made an excuse not to go into the house and dropped Jimmy and James off. We go in there, you know, kick the door down, you know, do our little thing there get the money from the place, and uh, we leave, click it, he comes back, picks us up, pops his trunk. Back up. What happened inside? You, y'all two go in. Yeah. How do you get in? The back door. 
Did you kick it in? Did they come to the back door? No, see what I did. We got it to the back of the place. He cut the phone line. Okay. Yeah. Cut the phone line. As soon as we went up to the door, he opened up the screen door and I kicked the door. The wood door? Yeah, the wood door. He pulled back the glass screen door where I could kick the wood door. And when I kicked it, we automatically just rushed up in there. Did you have a mask on? No. Did James? No. Gloves? Yeah. You were wearing gloves? No. Okay. And uh, go in there, you know, get them down on the ground, and get them to tell us where the money is. And uh, right before it. Where did they come from? They were in the living room. They were both in the living room, watching TV, reading a book. What were they doing? Watching TV, I believe, because you know, when I keep doing it, it's just hot. You know, didn't ask us Conway to tell actually what they were really doing. Okay. But um, we got up in there. We both got on the ground, hysterical as hell. Uh, I keep having nightmares. That's why she's mad. I tossed and turned and shit in there. Uh-huh. And uh, got them on the ground and was asking where the money was. They told us that it was in the back. He says, I'm going to watch you here. You take her in the back again. Walk back here where to get it. Now, well, hold on. The old man says it's in the back. Right. Y'all are asking where the money is. The old man and the woman at the same time said it's in Both the back. Both of them said it's in the back. Right. So then Jane says, I'll stay here with him. You take her in the back and get the money. Right. He shoots the dude. He tried to shoot the dude in the ass. He hit him in the fucking right here. Then? Yeah. Why? Because... That wasn't what was supposed to have been there, you know, just more or less. What wasn't supposed to have been there? From what it was told, it was supposed to have been a safe. There was no safe. But he shot him after you came back up? No, he shot him whenever he was asking where the money was, and they said, it's just, you know, they said, what money, what we got is in the back. Boom. Shot him. He shot him. Right. He tried to shoot him in the ass, but he got him in the back. Okay. Got him back in the kidney. One shot. Right, right there. They went into the home guns blazing with no masks on. According to Jimmy's story, the plan was to not kill anybody, but at the last minute, Mike told them not to wear masks, which doesn't make sense. It almost sounds like Mike is trying to set Jimmy and James up to get caught for the robbery. James seemed to be eager to use his weapon because he shot Thurman in the back right away before Jimmy took Catherine into a back bedroom. And uh, so I get the bitch, the woman up, and uh, take her in the back. When we take her in the back, I ask her where the money is, you know, and she's about to give it to me. And as soon as she reaches down to get it, she tries to grab a little revolver out from there and swing it around on me. You know, and she almost fucking shot my head off. Did she fire? No, she didn't fire. Well, when she come around, she was pulling the hammer back, and I grabbed it and knocked it out of the way. And when I did, I shot her, and, um... Where'd you shoot her? Right here in this elbow. Because that's the only thing I could get, because I was fighting with her, and then I had to, you know, get her off of me. Because she was trying her best to fucking pull that hammer back and shoot me with that revolver. And, uh, I shot her with that, and all, all she tried to do is just switch arms on me. And, you know, try to shoot me again. So she was still holding the revolver. Right, she was okay. still holding him, you know, like, God damn, woman, you know, I didn't, 
I did not want to kill him. Right. You know, the whole plan is what he had planned out from us for fucking three to four days straight. Was that you go in there with your past. That way you can just leave him alive and just get what you want. Right. Well, when we're getting ready for it, he's like, y'all need just need y'all's mask here. It's dark. Well, it's fucking dark in the house, you know? And you gotta have some light to see. And uh, so anyways, he was like, well, he says, if you have to kill him, Kill. He says, y'all make y'all's choice. He says, really, I mean, since y'all tell me that it's more or less mob related, and I, I kind of heard about it too, he said, just bump He said, that way I ain't got to worry about it. I ain't got to worry about coming for me once they get to y'all. So we in there, you know, we're, we got the money and everything. He was looking Well, let's back up. You and her are still struggling. Yes. She still has the gun. You've shot her one time. Right. What happens after that? Okay, You're right. still in the bedroom. Right. So I shot her in that elbow there, and uh, she tried to switch around and use the other arm. I shot her in the knee. Told her just look quick, you know. So then you shot her in the knee when she tried to switch hands with the gun. Right. And she went down onto the ground and just stayed there. Okay. You know, and I was like, look, why don't you just fucking quit? That's all I want. She's still holding the gun? Did you no, get the gun? I got the gun before she went to the ground. Okay. And uh, I got the gun, I threw it on the bed, you know. And uh, she's laying on the ground, and I got the money up, you know, I was looking at it. James come back in there and said, what would you get? I handed it to him, you know, before he could go on off and, you know, just hold it. Because I had to, you know, grab that gun and put it back, you know, in front of the bed this time instead of where it really was. And, uh... So you put the gun under the mattress? Under, yeah, not under the mattress, but under the bed itself, you know. Under the bed on the floor? On the floor, yeah. Okay, you put the, a little thirty-eight revolver? Uh, now I really don't know what kind of gun it was. I just know it was a revolver. Okay. And, uh, what was that? Oh, okay. You handed the money to... Yeah, when I handed him the money to it and all, he was like, well, all right. He started fumbling around the house for more to see if there was any more money. And he says, well, there's nothing else here. He says, I'm going to watch you kill her. He says, you know, I got to make sure that you this with me. You know, I was my very first person, you know. Yeah. I, I wound, eventually wound up doing it when he's just sitting there fucking arguing. Fucking do it, motherfucker, do it. And once I did, you know, and he walked in there and he popped that, the dude that was in the living room laying on the floor, right there in the living room. So you popped her where? Uh, I popped her in the head. You shot her in the head? Back of the head, front of the head? That's okay. You're getting it off your chest. It was in the back bedroom that Catherine attempted to shoot Jimmy and unfortunately was unsuccessful. Jimmy subdued Catherine, and the intruders searched the house for more money. Then, Jimmy shot Catherine in the head, and James shot Thurman in the head. Mike had given them walkie-talkies and said to send one click if there was trouble, and two clicks when they were ready to pick him up. They sent two clicks, and he came back to the scene. Jimmy said in his interrogation that they got out of there with about $30,000. They each took ten grand. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The next day, Katrina got to her parents' home and saw their car in the driveway. She walked around to the back of the house where she saw the back door had been kicked in. When she peeked inside, she saw her father laying on the floor in a pool of blood. She rushed to his side, but he was dead. Then she ran to the back of the house calling for her mother, but she found her dead as well. She tried to call 911 from the phone in the house, but Jimmy and James had cut the phone line before storming inside. She got in her car and drove to the closest neighbor who called 911. When authorities arrived, they found both Thurman and Catherine had suffered multiple gunshot wounds. Thurman had been shot in the lower back and the back of the head, but he also had been shot in the hand. Jimmy had explained that James shot him when they were questioning them about where the money was. Catherine had been shot in the arm, the shoulder, and in the head. The house had been ransacked and the attic stairs had been pulled down. Investigators found an additional $87,000 in cash in a metal container in the bathroom that the assailants had missed. Since the couple had each been shot with different weapons, investigators believed there were two people involved in the murder. They also followed footprints outside to an area with tire tracks, which meant they likely had a third person as a getaway driver, but they had no leads to point them to who they were. Investigators first thought that Katrina's ex-husband, Norman Herbert, might have been involved. After his and Katrina's divorce, he kidnapped, beat, and raped Katrina. Then he went into hiding for two weeks. He was eventually caught and arrested, but had made numerous threats against Katrina and her parents. When investigators looked into Norman's whereabouts, they found that he was still in prison at the time of the murders. With an airtight alibi for their most promising suspect, investigators were back to square one. Meanwhile, Jimmy took his part of the money and spent a good portion on marijuana and cocaine. He did pay to have a family member's truck fixed up for them, and he got himself a place to live along with a television, a bedroom set, and a washer and dryer. He told the detective that James used his share to buy a large amount of cocaine so he could start dealing. Mike used his share to start building his hydroponic grow operation, but eventually he needed more funds. He went to Jimmy and suggested another robbery. And uh, I was telling him that I was broke. He's like, look, we're not going to do nobody. This is all we're going to do. And I'm going to walk up there. And I'm going to show him these little pieces of paper saying that out. What it was, this is what I was telling you earlier. Look on his computer. He said he kind of erased it out of his computer, but I don't believe it. But he made copies of Al Green when he made one of them uh, search warrants. Or some kind of piece of paper saying, you know, searching the place, you know, this, that, and the other. And uh, he blanked it all out, put State of Alabama versus Butch Bowery, you know, and uh, put down there on the rest to, to search your house and every contents in your safe, you know, lollygob. And he goes up and knocks on the dude's door because he went to Ranger Joe's to get a little patch that says agent, you know, well, he's got a drug enforcement hat. He went and bought a long sleeve shirt, you know, dark blue, looks like a cop. So what was he wearing then? He was, he was wearing like a drug enforcement 
you know, four years. Was it have drug agent on it? Yeah, on his hat. Boom. Drug what did it have on his shirt? Agent. agent. Just agent. Just agent right here. On a blue shirt? On a dark blue shirt. T-shirt. Right, no, button-up shirt. Long button-up stuff. shirt. Yeah. But I tell you what happened to that one, man. I, I got rid of that off right there. Okay. I was back to California. I don't know what it was. But, uh, anyways, he walks up to the door, knocks on it. Guy answers the door. He walks inside, shows him the papers, you know. Now, where are you? I'm in the car. You sure? Oh, I'm positive. I swear to you. Because, see, I drove. The deal of it was that he wanted me to drive. That way he can just get out on the passenger side instead of having to switch out whenever he gets out and me go to the driver's side, you know. And uh, I was like, all right. I was dry. I drove up in the yard. So why the, why, the, why the police bit, Jimmy? To get into the door. Okay, but I mean, he wanted to keep it because it was so in close to town and so neighbors were so close. He wanted to keep it low down and less noise as possible. So what he wanted, what he had told me, what he was going to do was go in there and he was going to get the man and leave the kid. Butch Boyer was a used car salesman and a single father with a 12-year-old son, Brett. On February 17th, he was working on some paperwork for his business and Brett was getting ready for bed when someone knocked on his door. It was around 10 p.m., an unusual time for someone to be at his door and when he answered, he saw a man with a badge and a search warrant. The man was Mike and he had forged a fake search warrant, got a phony police badge, a drug enforcement hat and a shirt that said agent and used it as a way to get into the home. Mike told Butch that he was being arrested for drug possession. Butch insisted that it was a mistake. Butch had no drugs on the property and had no history of drug possession or use. Brett was still awake and upset about what was going on, but Butch assured him that it was a mistake and would get cleared up. Right, the plan that was supposed to have been, since he's going to knock on the door, he made it to where it was about 9.30, where the kid should have been asleep, you know, that's whole intention was the kid in the bed asleep, don't fuck with him. He don't know nothing, he won't know nothing. He'll wake up and his dad's just, you know, either broke or gone with us. And um, get in there, everything looked like it was going good. All I seen the man standing there, and um, he comes out with the man handcuffed, throws him in the car. Front or back? In the back, in the back. Handcuffed in the front or back? Both, handcuffed in, in his back. In his back? Yeah. Hands behind him? Right, hands behind him. Handcuff him down, you know, put him in the car. <sighs> Goes back inside. You know, he once posted him went back inside. And it was when he soon as he put him in, he closed the door and walked right back in there without telling me I'll be back or nothing, you know. Comes back out. The, fucking kid. the kid cuffed or is he just no, walking? And he's just walking in. And you know, I'm like, oh shit. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, he was in, he was in the living room. You know, kid wasn't living there, man. Okay, what was he wearing? The kid. I want to say it's like a pig in craze with a shirt. Kind of long sleeve. I know it's a long sleeve shirt. You know, I really can't tell about the clothes. Okay. What about the pants? I just know he had some on. <laughs> okay. You know, I really, I didn't pay attention to what they were wearing. Okay. And, uh, because I was still tripping out, he's got a fucking kid with us. And, um, 
goes out there at the 431. That's part that y'all know about shit. So y'all drive out there? Right, I drive out there. Get out of the car. Me and him, me and Mike, we talks first when we get out of the car. We leave them in the back seat still. And he was telling me about it. He's like, look, he says, I had a breathing kid too, Raleigh Dog. He's like, he was he was in the living room. I had no choice, you know. Uh, he's like, well, he says, let's get the man out and tell him if you don't give us the money at the house that we just do his kid right here, right, right out here in this isolated place. Mike handcuffed both Butch and Brad and put them into the back of an unmarked Ford Crown Victoria, and they drove away from the home. Butch would later say that once they drove past the police station, he knew something was wrong. They went out to an area where they were building a new highway and told Butch that they would kill his son if he didn't give them money. Butch admitted that he had $20,000 in cash at his home, and they all drove back to his house so Butch could give them the money. After that, Mike and Jimmy took the father and son back to the construction site where Mike slit Butch's throat. The cut wasn't deep enough to kill him quickly, so Butch pretended to be dead, hoping the men would leave his son alone. After they pushed his body into a pre-dug shallow grave, he heard Mike say to Jimmy, quote, Okay, I did one, now you do one. And that's when Jimmy shot Brad in the head. Surprisingly, though, Brett didn't die, so Jimmy shot him two more times in the head and they pushed the boy's body into the grave with Butch. Then they covered them both with lye and dirt. Once Butch heard the car drive away, he managed to dig himself out of the grave and then pull his son's body out. He tried to resuscitate Brett, but eventually accepted the fact that Brett was gone. Then he focused his energy on making sure the monsters who killed his son would be caught. He made his way to a road where he flagged down a motorist. When a sheriff's deputy arrived, he told them that Jimmy Brooks Sr.'s son had shot Brett. Jimmy Sr. had done repossessions for Butch's car dealership, and Jimmy Jr. worked with him from time to time, so Butch immediately recognized him. He made sure to never let on that he knew the identity of one of the assailants, though. He was also able to tell investigators that they drove a white Crown Vic with tinted windows, and more importantly, he said that they had taken the keys to his house, so they had probably returned there to search for more money. Authorities went to Butch's house and staked it out. Not even 30 minutes later, they saw a white Crown Vic leave the scene. They followed it and eventually stopped the vehicle, which was being driven by Mike. When he was arrested, he had a large amount of cash on him, he had the keys to Butch's house, and there was blood on his clothing. When the vehicle was searched, they found two pairs of handcuffs, shackles, and a hat that said narcotics officer on it. When Mike was brought in for an interrogation, he stood his ground. Despite the evidence against him, he claimed to have no involvement in the crime. Even when they break the news to him that Butch survived, he seems shaken but doesn't admit any involvement. About an hour later, Jimmy was arrested and he sang like a canary. The only problem with Jimmy's story was that he claimed that the plan was always to leave them at the construction site alive, except they had pre-dug a shallow grave. They had gone out and purchased lye and brought it with them. It really seems like they planned to kill and bury at least one body that evening. Investigators also found that Mike and Jimmy had a list of people who they believed had large amounts of cash on them. That list included Butch and the Ratcliffs. 
After Jimmy was interrogated, investigators located James Gary, who was already in jail on drug charges. According to his story, he was also bailed out by Mike, and the money he owed was held over his head to get him to participate in the robbery. It was the same thing that Jimmy said Mike had done to him. During the robbery, James's story differed from Jimmy's, though. James said that Jimmy had shot Catherine first, then came out of the back and ordered him to shoot Thurman. When he hesitated, Jimmy took the gun from him and shot Thurman himself. The truth will never be known for sure, but it definitely seems that Jimmy was more willing to kill than he wanted people to believe. Not only did Mike maintain his innocence after being arrested, he tried to make a deal with the district attorney. I know a situation where the man has 40 kilos of coke. That's what he does a month, 40 kilos. He deals both here and in Columbus. He'll be a metro situation. Okay. I know of another situation. It's a 30 kilo minimum. We could walk up today and buy 30 kilos of coke if we had the cash. And, and both of these people live here? Uh, the one of them lives over in Columbus. Okay. That's where he lives. The other guy, I'm not real sure where he lives. I know of him, and I know how to get to him. Okay. I mean, it won't be me going and making the buy. What will have, we'll have to happen is I will have to, like, like I know you, I'll have to get you because you know him. Okay. And then me and you go buy from him or whatever. Okay. You know, if you don't want me making the buy, I'll, go to, I'll get the wire. Yeah, where you know, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, and he's also, and this one that what I'm talking about is 30 kilos. He's up, he's up, I think he's in Atlanta is where I think he is. But he will take 100 pounds of reefer a week per, I mean, just bone 100 pounds to flip, no problem. Much as you want. Much as you can bring to it. If you got 100 pounds, he'll take it. Okay. For $500 a pound, it's a $50,000 transaction just like that. Mike starts off this meeting by saying to the detective, quote, We both know I didn't hurt anybody. He's trying to maintain that he had no part in the murders of the Ratcliffs or Brett Boyer or the attempted murder of Butch Boyer. Since he's clearly not a danger, the district attorney should make a deal with him. Mike has this convoluted plan to partner with authorities, buy an office building and set it up like a drug dealer warehouse club. He talks about bringing in local drug dealers and telling them that they need to run their IDs in order to check if they're on some fictitious DEA informant list. He tells the detective that the drug dealers are stupid enough to believe it, which is probably the only true sentence to leave Mike's mouth. He explains that they'll give the drug dealers a membership card that gets swiped every time they buy drugs, and then the police can track every large quantity of drugs they buy. Then he starts talking about this drug dealing pyramid scheme where they tell dealers to bring in other dealers and then they'll get a cut of all the sales from the dealers below them. Eventually, they'll have all this evidence against all the dealers in town and they can arrest them all and shut down the local drug trade. It's fascinating how much he believes he can con his way out of this situation. He also tells the detective that he knows bigger drug dealers that are pressing their own ecstasy pills. He claims that these are big-time international drug dealers. He suggests that he can help take them down, but he doesn't stop there. When I, when I do these guys, I mean, and I ain't talking about just these local guys, when I do this ecstasy ring, I do those marijuana, meth, and cocaine traffickers that are, you know, California, Arizona, Texas, uh, 
here, they're in Chicago, that I mean these guys are national. They will they are never, never gonna stop looking for me. You already know that. My ass is I'm a walking dead man. What I want is I want federal witness protection. And I will walk away from everybody I know and I care about. But I'll do this. Okay. You know, I, you know, I, I don't know how the federal thing works. Well, it, it's it's not you know as complicated as everybody makes it out to be. You know? well, well, what I want out of it, if we do that, and I, and I want to be very clear about this. I mean, the absolute thing I want is I don't want my mother and father to know that I'm right that I'm out working undercover. I don't want my ex-wife to know we're divorced. She's not, you know, she's sending me money, making sure right. I got money on the books, but uh, she's fixing to get married. She's fixed to marry somebody else off into the wild, the young, they're going to go. Okay. What I want, and, and which my young is in the in the Alabama state system, which I don't think he's going to have a problem out of this. Okay. But I think he can just stay where he's at, do his time. You know, they might kick him out to get, to get him out of the system so he doesn't get shanked. Put in. Right. You know, but, but let him deal with his own problems. I mean, he's... He is doing stupid stuff. He's right. Sitting, he's sitting right where I told him that he'd be if he did what he did. Right. So I'm, I'm not asking for anything really for him other than maybe get him out of where he's at so he don't get a shank up his ass. Right. Uh-huh. If he comes back and does something stupid like that, that's up. Right. But if we do this and we do the federal thing, I want I want to die in a very public way. In other words, I want I want a death certificate with my name on it. That says I died over here while I was fishing, or I was found in the lake floating. I mean, you know, I, I went and had a seizure. You know, you know what I'm saying? I yeah. died. The death certificate to where a death certificate can be mailed to my mother and my father. A death certificate can be mailed to Cameron to where they can close. They can have some closure where I'm deceased because I'm on the next plane to Tahoe. He wants the federal government to fake his death and then put him in witness protection. Mike watches too many movies. The detective is going along with it, but authorities have absolutely no interest in any of this nonsense. The blood that was on Mike's clothes when he was arrested was tested and it came back a match for Butch. That piece of evidence, plus Jimmy and James's testimony, plus Butch's testimony proved that Michael Carruth was full of shit. In October of 2003, Michael Carruth was found guilty of capital murder and sentenced to death. In February of 2004, Jimmy was also found guilty of the same charges and sentenced to death. The jury took less than 30 minutes to reach a verdict in Jimmy's case. Both Mike and Jimmy were convicted in a separate trial for the murder of Thurman and Catherine Ratcliffe. They both received life sentences. James Gary was also sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for those murders. These were people who thought people were disposable in order for them to get their hands on money. Taking a life in order to get money that they didn't have to work for seems to be the true nature of a monster. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help.
If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.